Father, we thank you for the testimony that is in the room. For every person here, there is a testimony that you have moved and that you'll do it again. And Father, I pray that you would instill within us faith this morning, Father, to believe that you will continue to continue moving and moving and moving and moving in our lives in Jesus' name, that we will see your hand at work in this day and the next and the ones to come after that. And Father, we're thankful that you are near, that you are here. Father, we pray that your word would be blessed this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Gracie, could you pass me that um, pulpit thingy, midjiggy, this big thingy? Is your name Gracie? Thank you, Ruth. The what? The what? <laughs> Last year I had a boat. It's downscaled a little bit this year. Well, precisely 12 months ago, I stood here with Elise and the kids uh, as Brett and Jen and the elders and as Daz uh, commissioned me into the role of leading the church here at Caringbar. And uh, I guess as a, in, a, in a moment that that was, was a uh, handing on of a baton, um, a baton that has been carried by countless faithful people over the years. In fact, 75 years this year, this church has been worshipping Jesus in this community. Isn't that incredible? 75 years, which for the Shire is like we were here at creation. Um, <laughs> You know, let there be trees in the shire, let there be light in the shire, let there be sea and separate the thing and the that and the this and the birds and, the, and let there be king's way in the shire. It all seemed to happen at once 75 years ago. And what the Lord has achieved through this uh, community and every iteration of this community over the last 75 years has left an indelible mark on countless thousands of people and literally helped shape the community that is around us. That because we have been here for 75 years, Caringbar and Tarrant Point and Miranda and Cronulla and Woolaware and Kirrawee and Gaimere and Sylvania and this region is different because we have been here for 75 years. That's seven and a half decades, a church that has been running the race that has been marked out for it. No doubt in that 75 years there have been hurdles, there have been things to overcome, there have been injuries to be nursed over that time, there have been limps that the church would have walked with through different seasons that needed to be pushed through. Perhaps there was even a streaker or two on the field that attempted to distract us from the mission that we're part of and what God has called us to. But I am grateful and I found myself being grateful all this week for the many people who have trodden the way on which we run now. People who have pioneered the paths on which we walk. People who have prayed for miracles. I'm grateful for the people who turn up to things, people who have uh, put their weight and their resources and their time and their effort and their energy behind 
pastors and behind teams and behind each other as a family. I'm grateful for the people who have sacrificed more than we will ever know so that you and I can run the laps that we have been called to run while it's our turn. Grateful for the people who now stand in the, in the grandstands cheering us on, looking at you and I as we go about our daily lives, in our parenting and in our working and in our being church together, who are st- in those grandstands all around going, come on, you guys, now's your turn. Run, run, run. But most of all, I am grateful that over the decades that this church has been one that has kept its eyes fixed on Jesus every lap, every time they've crossed over the line. There Jesus is, eyes fixed on Jesus. And again, probably, most likely, in fact, definitely haven't got it right all of the time. We're human and that's okay. But this is a church that has for 75 years kept its eyes fixed on Jesus. And the people who have fought for that call and that mission, I am grateful for today. And I count it both a privilege, yet also a weighty responsibility to lead and help us run into another year, perhaps another lap together, focusing our eyes on Jesus Hopefully a lap that is far less disjointed than the last couple of years. Hopefully a lap um, that we can look back and go, the whole corona thing was a few laps ago and that's no longer a hurdle that we have to jump over. However, it won't mean that there aren't more. Let me pray. Father, in this moment of gratitude, I give you thanks for what you've done. Father, there have been so many faithful people over the years who have partnered with you in the activity of your kingdom in this church and in this region. And Father, I pray now that it is our turn. Father, I pray that we would do with that the great justice to worshipping your name. We do justice to the mission you have called us to. That we would do justice to faithfully fix our eyes on Jesus. That we would run well this year in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to share a story out of Scripture in 2 Samuel 18, and it's called Absalom Dies. Encouraging stuff for Vision Sunday. The death of Absalom is where we're going, and I'll give you a little bit of context to the passage that we are going to get to. Absalom was one of King David's sons, Um, He was a people-pleasing, high-rolling, look-at-me kind of fella. Uh, He drew attention of all of Israel. Uh, In fact, it says uh, in 2 Samuel 14, 25, In all Israel there was none so much to be praised for his handsome appearance. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. Now, this was the Adonis of the day. He had it all. Everyone loved him. He had a bit of a cult following starting to follow him. And in quite sneaky ways, he began usurping his dad's authority and kingship. In fact, he mounted a campaign to overthrow King David. 
Young Absalom, the son who was jealous of the father, who had a cult following coming behind him, had everything going for him, was able to woo all of the people. He began banding together an army of his own. He gathered horses and he gathered chariots. And there was a swelling group of fighting men who began gathering around Absalom to fight for his cause of overthrowing his dad from the throne. See, Absalom was a crafty, stop-at-nothing, power-grabbing, backstabbing, so-and-so, yet David, despite Absalom wanting him dead, loved him nonetheless. As it turns out, Absalom wasn't just bark. He was hatching a plan to bite. He set out from Jerusalem in pursuit of his dad and all of the people that were gathered with David. In 2 Samuel 15, it records that the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. Absalom meant business. He was locked and loaded to take the kingship from his father. However, David caught wind of Absalom's plan to unrightfully take his seat, to take his throne from him. And so David fled Jerusalem with thousands and thousands of people in fear of his very life. And tensions began to increase in Camp Absalom and in Camp David. And it reached a boiling point that spilled over into all-out war. In fact, in the forest of Ephraim that day, the scripture records about 20,000 men died. Presumably, mostly Absalom's men, as it was declared that the victory that day was David's. Later on that day, Absalom was riding his donkey home, and I'm sure the donkey had his tail between his legs, having felt the weight of the loss of the war. And suddenly a unit of David's men happened to cross Absalom on his donkey as he was riding home. Absalom panicked. He knew full well that if he didn't split, that his blood would be the next to stain the countryside. And so he got the boot into his donkey. Off it goes, give it a big whack. And with the donkey in full flight, Redlining, four and a half thousand revs, he's shifting through the gears on old mate donkey. He sees up ahead a low-lying, well in fact he doesn't see it. Laying up ahead is an oak tree with a few branches laying a little bit low. And Absalom in his panic to get away from Joab and David's fighting men, he missed the maximum clearance height sign of 2.1 metres. He'd recently had an upgrade in the suspension of his donkey and now measuring in at 2.3 metres. He's sailing away from these captors and all of a sudden he finds himself hanging by his hair from a branch. His donkey was three sheets to the wind, sailing off into the sunset, glad to not have the heavy Absalom on his back and he would live to see another day. However, Absalom's fate was not quite as fortunate as the donkey. Scripture tells us that he was suspended between heaven and earth. That's the description that we have. 
In fact, a few chapters earlier, we read that Absalom only cut his hair once a year. Maybe it's a lesson. If he had cut his hair, maybe he wouldn't have been in this predicament. But here he is, Absalom hanging from a tree. And Joab wanting him dead. Even though David had said, don't harm Absalom. Not quite sure why, given the character of the guy. So Joab took it upon himself to take revenge against this young guy and he threw his spear at him three times. And then 10 other guys were nearby and they caught wind of the fact that Absalom was hanging from the tree and that they thought they would also enact their own revenge and make sure that the lights were out finally on this young upstart Absalom. And so these 10 men saw to it that Absalom would breathe his last. Joab blew his trumpet as a signal that victory was theirs and for all of the army to return pursuing Israel. And they buried Absalom in the field that day, in the forest, and everyone went home. And we pick up the story in 2 Samuel 18, verse 19. Chapter 18, verse 19. That is the backstory to this moment. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And here we meet a new player in the story, in the context of what I've just shared, Ahimaz. Ahimaz was the son of Zadok, and Zadok was a priest. In chapter 15, a few chapters earlier, we come to understand that David had appointed Zadok and Ahimaz, his son, to remain in Jerusalem while the upcoming battle played out in order that any message that needed to be brought back to King David would be brought by this young messenger boy, Ahimaz. This was Ahimaaz's moment to shine. He had a message to bring. This is the job that the king had given him. So he thought, I'm going to go to Joab and I'm going to ask if I can go and run the message to the king. And in verse 19, then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. I mean, good news to bring, right? You know, let me go. Let me tell him that Absalom's gone. He doesn't have to worry. He can go home and he doesn't have to be watching over his back, sleeping with one eye open. It's all good. Let me go and run and tell the king this good thing. But Joab said to him, you are not to carry news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall carry no news because the king's son is dead. And I can imagine Ahimez probably chucking a bit of a tanty in that moment off into the corner and having a bit of a sookie la-la, a bit of a pity party. What do you mean I can't run the news today? I'm the messenger. This is my job. This is what King David said I could do. And now, Joab, you're telling me I can't run? Exactly, said Joab. You're not running, son. Then Joab said to another man who was a Cushite, who um, the Cushites are the Ethiopians, Joab said to an Ethiopian gentleman, Go tell the king what you have seen. And the Ethiopian man bowed before Joab and he ran. If you are going to get a message sent to somebody in these days, you will pick an Ethiopian man to run the marathon. You will not pick a Jewish man. Have you watched the Olympics? Jewish men do not beat Ethiopian men. Ethiopian men runs. Then Ahimez. 
the son of Zadok, says again to Joab. He comes out of his little pity party. He comes out again, though, with both barrels blazing. He says to Joab, Come what may, let me run after the Cushite. But Joab said to him, Why would you run, my son, given that you will run for no reward? You know, the Ethiopian guy had the news, and he will get there, and he will get the reward for the good news. You still run a white run, and you're not going to get any reward for it. Why do you still want to run? And in what I would describe as the likely moment where both clarity and conviction collided, where Ahimez knew what his job was, he knew what he was called to do. Partnered with that, his love for the king all came together. And in this moment, from the depth of his gut, from a heart pulsing with certainty about his calling and what he was there to do and his conviction for the love of the king, he said, come what may, I will run. Joab said to him, run. Then Ahimez ran by the way of the plain and he did what no Jew has ever done and he outran the Ethiopian. I want you to circle or underline or write it down or get a tattoo. Come what may, I will run. Come what may, I will run. When I sat with the Lord on this word, and as I prayed through what I felt he was speaking to me and uh, to the team about for the church in 2022, I heard him uh, ask me a question. Uh, he said, what do you see for your people this year? And I said, no, no, that's not how it works. I'm asking you the questions, um, God. Uh, and he said, no, 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 that's not how it works. I'll ask you to sit down, boy. I will ask you the questions. And so we had a bit of an argument. Anyway, he asked me, what do you see for your people this year? What do you see? And at that moment, I was sitting at my desk and um, in this moment, it was like roll call was happening in church. And I, I, I started seeing all of your faces, all of you who are here and all of the people who aren't and um, even uh, faces of people who aren't even part of our community yet. And I saw them rolling through face by face and name by name. And as I saw all of these faces, I felt God saying, what do you see? See, what, what do you see for Grandma Gail this year, he would ask. What do you see for Kim and for Troy this year? What do you, what do you see for Sean and for Kirsty this year? What do you see for Grace Hunziker for this year? What do you see for Maddie this year? What do you see for Muzz? And just over and over, what do you see? What do you see for your people this year? And my answer was, I see spiritual renewal at the intersection of clarity and conviction in their lives. A deepened sense of personal calling, born of deep inner work of the Holy Spirit, colliding with a deepened conviction to worship King Jesus and lay their lives down for his sake. I see the elements of passion, of purpose, of faith and love colliding to form a compound called a transformed kingdom life. 
I see a church on their knees, firstly to worship their Lord, but secondly to tie up their laces because come what may, we will run. Now I believe that the Lord is calling us this year to have the minerals, to have the spirit of Ahimez, to be a church, to be a people, whoever you are and whatever you do, from whatever your past and wherever your future may go, who stand before their father with an exactitude of faith that says, come what may, I will run. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 to 27. See, I think there might be a slide up there, Nick, called Corinthians You throw that up and it says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And I'm seeing Ahimez in that scripture. Run in such a way. Come what may, I will run. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the price. Now, one of the things I love about Ahimez was that he ran full well knowing that he was doing so for no reward. The prize for Ahimez wasn't that he might chance his hand at getting something from the king, but in being with the king. Now, the essence of true love in a relationship is not founded on what one can get from the other, but simply by being at peace in their presence. We can take great confidence in knowing that God's love is reciprocated regardless of our performance or our perfection. And for Ahimez, the presence was the prize. Being with the king from a heart that desired to bring him pleasure, Ahimez ran. He didn't care whether he'd get a gold necklace or a Rolex watch out of the king's stash. He didn't care if he got a ring or a robe or a brand new pair of Nikes. Ahimez, as he ran, he ran to be with the king. And my prayer is that we would run not aimlessly and not for a prize that would spoil or fade or point to our name, but for the prize of being found in the presence of the Father for his good pleasure and for his praise. Come what may, we will run into his presence. Come what may, we will run. The legacy of Ahimez did not only inspire Paul, but also the author of Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. I think we might have that one as well. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those ones that I mentioned already from the last 75 years, there's a great cloud there, not to mention Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, David, all the prophets, 
Jesus, all the apostles, all who have come before us in the global family of Christ, in the grandstand, a great cloud of witnesses, let us then throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Come what may, we will run. This year will be for us a year in which we throw off the things that hinder. This will be for us a year that we run with perseverance, a year in which we will not lose heart. And I'm not sure if I have faith for this bit, but with the Lord's help, a year where we do not grow weary. Can somebody give me an amen? A year that we run and we do not grow weary. I had a moment this morning. And the moment, as I shared earlier, was I was sitting prepping again uh, for, for today and, and the text comes through and Greg's got COVID and Chrissy can't be here and Mia can't be on drums and that means things can't happen here because Chrissy's here, she was meant to be on kids, so kids couldn't happen. Last minute, our kids got called to their soccer thing at um, uh, trials or whatever it might be, their grading that they have to be at and that was at 9 o'clock and then at 10 o'clock and Elise couldn't be here and the kids and I just had this moment of, God, are you kidding? Like, do I just send out a text to the church and say, we're your runners next week? Not this week. We're not running this week. This week I'm going to sit in the office and I'm going to sip a latte and I'm going to call church off. So I called Avril and I said, you know, I'm halfway there, Avzi. I'm halfway to calling church off. But then I had to put my big boy pants on and I had to stop and I had to think and I had to reflect on the message that I was about to bring this morning. That come what may, what some, a few people can't be here, will we'll not have this. Dave, just because you didn't think it was going to plan out how you thought it would plan out, we're not going to have this. Pull your head in, sunshine, because come what may, we will run. And we must expect that things are going to trip us up. We must expect that there are going to be hurdles. We must expect that things are not going to go to plan. We must expect that there will be loss. We must expect that there will be grief. We must expect that there will be suffering because that's what the Bible... Well, I'd say, unfortunately, that's what the Bible promises to people like you and I who choose to lay down our life and live for no other king but Jesus. But we can't allow those things to get in the way of fixing our eyes on Jesus and running the lap in which God has called us to run. And so this year, come what may, we will run. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. There's a story of a farmer. He tried planting some crops. For some reason, all of his crops, he just couldn't get them in a row. They were going, you know how you see, a, I was at a wedding yesterday overlooking cornfields down the south coast and they're just curated, beautiful rows of corn. 
as they should be. But this young farmer, he just couldn't get... He, there was left turns and there was right turns. And he ended up at the end of the day going, what is going on? In fact, his neighbour, the farming neighbour, an older fella, um, he came over and he said, mate, what are you doing? Like, have a look at mine. They're, like, perfect. And look at yours. They're left and they're right. And what's going on? And his older neighbour says to him, um, let me tell you a secret. What you need to do is you need to pick an object in the paddock next door. And you need to keep your eyes fixed on that object. And as you plant your seeds, you keep your eyes fixed on that thing, and I guarantee you, you will plant straight crops. And so this farmer did, as the older fella next door said. And he set out the next day, and he picked an object in the field over there, and he got in his tractor, and he started planting crops. And he got to the end of the day, and he got out of his tractor, and as he did, the neighbour came over and met him, and they both looked at his crops, and they were all over the shop. And they couldn't work out why. And the, the older farmer said, did you, did you plant these after happy hour? Um, what, it's worse. He said, what did you do? He said, I did exactly as you told me to do. I focused on an object in the field next door. The farmer said, well, what, which one? He said, your cows. Now, so often our eyes can be fixed on a moving target. The moving target of money, the elusive goal of world, worldly success, the erratic motion of instant gratification or personal gain. We watch these things. We start to realise that the things we're planting in our life are just a mess behind us. But like Ahimez, come what may, we will fix our eyes on the King, the ever-constant, never-changing, eternally reliable, ever-present help in times of trouble King. It is to Him, come what may, we will run. So for us this year of running well, that come what may, come another variant, Come another lockdown, come homeschooling, come isolation, come loss, come suffering, come hurdles, come lack or come plenty. We will run. We will run like Ahimez. We'll be faithful in our calling. He had a job to do and he knew it was his job. And even in spite of the voices that would tell him, no, he can't run, he said to those voices, no, come what may, I will run. From a deep place of clarity on his call and his job and his commissioning by the king. And to you, my friends, I challenge you, chase that down this year. Clarity on who you are and what God has called you to do. Because when that clarity collides with conviction, with a love and a passion for King Jesus... Things change. Like Ahimez, we'll run with passion in our pursuit. No one runs out, outruns an Ethiopian. Passion and love for the king got him across the line. You can imagine him 
Ahimez, come what may, I will run. And the moment that he sees that Ethiopian man in his vision up a few fields, across a couple of ridges, you can just see Ahimez mustering up every ounce of, I've got this, he had. And he pinned his ears back and he put his eyes down and he got his arms moving and his legs one step in front of the other. And Ahimez chased this guy down with passion in his pursuit. Like Ahimez, we'll run with conviction. And I love that Ahimez's conviction outweighed any sense of convenience. Because at the end of the day, the news was going to get to the king. Nahimez could have sat down in the shade of a cooler bar tree, boiled the pot and had a cup of tea. But he didn't take the convenient option that his conviction outweighed convenience. And I'm not sure about you, but the world I live in is an increasing world of convenience. Maybe perhaps this year we need to pay a price for our convenience to run with conviction. Like Ahimez, we will run with love for the king. And we don't necessarily know the, the depth of the relationship that Ahimez had as a messenger boy with the king. But all, all indicators to me point to the fact that this messenger boy, he loved King David so much that he wanted to bring the news. And like Ahimez, we will run knowing that the presence is the prize. That being with the king was of greater worth than what he could get from the king. And so we find ourselves, come what may, we will run, running into the presence of God, not because of what we can get from him, but because of the peace we receive in him. Come what may, we will run. I'll invite the band to come back up. There's going to be more to unpack in this over the coming weeks. Um, if I could have entitled today, other than come what may, it would have been fixated. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Next week, I'm going to bring a word on unhindered, running unhindered. Let's throw off everything that hinders unhindered. And the week after that, Ruthie is going to be preaching a word on renewal that we would run and we would not grow weary, that our strength would be renewed. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, it will be a year of throwing off hindrances, having our supplies of energy renewed, a year of growing in strength, disciplining the mind and the body and the spirit, operating from purpose and deepening our perseverance in tough things. Come what may, we will run.
So as we enter our 75th year and it's our turn to run, what are you going to do with that? I'm not going to answer that question for you. I would like you to spend some time with the Lord in your, in your own time. Now what, what does running well for me look like this year? In what ways do I need to run differently, perhaps? Maybe next week we'll ask the question, what do we need to, what's hindering us? What do we need to throw off? But what are you going to do with the lap that we're running now? You know, we're in it together. This is a team, it is a team event, but at the same time, we all run in this team event as individuals as well. What are you going to do with this lap that we are running? Because whether we like it or not, as the people of God in 2022, it is on us to now tread the way forward. It is on us to pioneer new paths. It is on us to continue to pray for miracles. It is on us to put our weight and our creativity and our passion and our skill and our partnership and our resources, as many have done in the past, behind great kingdom ideas, behind pastors and teams and each other. It is our turn to be the people to sacrifice so that others, the next generation to come, can run the laps of the race that have been appointed for them to run. Because one day it will be you and I occupying the grandstand as we watch my kids and as we watch your kids and your grandkids and as we watch the young people at Ruthie and her team are discipling. Well, probably not then. Hopefully we're around long enough that there might be their kids and their kids. But nonetheless, it will be our turn one day in the grandstands. Run! 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 But in the meantime, with this lap that we are on, how will you run? As we take communion this morning, I'd like you just to think about that question. How will you run? Fixing our eyes on Jesus is the only instruction that I would give you in this moment. Fix your eyes on him. Jesus, how do you want me to run this year? So as we read, we fix our eyes on Jesus as we come to take communion, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross for you and I, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So in this moment, let us consider him who endured such opposition from sinners like you and I, so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. So I invite you to come down and um, actually I'll grab two of our elders or just Muzz and Shaz, you guys are going to be perfect candidates. Uh, one here, one here, chuck a glove on, COVID safe communion. You can grab your own cup. These guys will pass you a piece of bread. Just come back to your seat and take a moment. Lord, how do you want me to run this year? Whatever he says, just hold on to it. 
There's no wrong answers. Take it into your week. Continue to pray into that. Share it with a trusted friend. Hey, this is what I feel like God's saying to me this year. I need to run differently. Or I need to run this way. I'll run. Come what may, we will run. So come forward. Take communion. as We fix our eyes on Jesus in this moment. And we consider what we will do with this lap that we run. So come on down.